Okay. So we pick up on then Dalit and we're in the middle of another statement of Reb Yitzchak in the name of Reb Yochanan, in the name of Reb Lezer Ben Yaakov. That uh, within four hours of a mate, anybody is considered to be tamei as a way of keep, having people keep their distance. Top of Nimdal and Dalit. Atana Tuna and Atana taught similarly. If you have a courtyard in front of a um, a, uh, a burial crypt, you know where the, the bodies are put into the cave, and you have a little courtyard there. If you stand in it, you're Tahor. And that's Farmo. Because the basic point being that the way uh, Rashi explains is that if you have here your uh, cave, you know, whatever, and you've got your, uh, your, your, your bodies buried in the wall, and you have like a courtyard here. Okay, Rashi actually explains that might be a courtyard there. Whatever. Anyway, you see the wall of the cave. You see the entrance of the cave, right? It might even be like this, and there's like a door here to entrance. So you can stand here and be within Arba Amot, and you won't be Tamei, because the wall is a clear demarcation, and you won't accidentally get too close to the mace. So that's the idea there. Well, that's, no. So it won't be if it's open, because, and how big does the courtyard have to be? If the courtyard is too small, then it might really not be considered a separate space, and then you're really just considered to be together with the the, uh, inside of the cave. So the Hushibo are ba'amot. So this is not how far you're standing away from the graves or, or the opening. It's just the size of the courtyard. It has to be for Amot to be its own place. The Tirolomim are ba'at Tfachim. No, for Tfachim is enough. That's at least, though, you know, if you're pressing for Tfachim, you're going to, you know, you don't have any place to stand. But if it's for Tfachim, that's enough. And the fact that there's a wall there, you're allowed to be very close. Now, for Nedvar Murim, so this hasn't yet really proven it. It's a very indirect proof but let's just finish the point here for Medvar Mamurim when is this true if the way to get into this courtyard right if the sort of ground level is like uh, is like it's like the ground level is like up here right so the way you get in is you sort of come in from above now the funny thing is the guard is going to reverse it because the point is is that if you just like jump down and jump up you don't have a lot of space to maneuver. And it's much more likely that you might, as you're jumping, I don't know, you know, get into the space of the maze or put your arm on, on the top of the cave here, which is like over where the maze team are. So it's much more dangerous if you have a nice, easy access from the side somehow, you know, a nice slope that's getting you into it, you know, you're a lot more safe that you're going to avoid that space. So the Gemara is going to reverse this. This makes it sound like it's better if you're jumping in and jumping out of it. When is this true? Um, if you get into the courtyard from above. If you enter it from the side, then everybody agrees you need for Amot a bigger space. So the Gemara says that doesn't make sense. Like, which direction is that going? It should be the opposite. If you're coming from the side, Midrid the Nafik. Like, you can sort of, like, you know, sort of, uh, um, like, uh, uh, yeah, or like, you can, like, uh, like, um, like, you know, a, a movie, or what is it, like, a, you know, you can, like, uh, um, um, navigate, essentially, and go out. Okay? So you can go, go, go in and go out without actually getting into any problematic space. Now, Lamala, if you're coming in from above, oh my gosh, if you're coming in from above, oh, hush, 
<laughs> if you're coming in from above, <laughs> so by jumping in and out, there's some part of you is going to be over the cave. Ella, fine, reverse it. If you're coming in from the side, then it can be a small space. If you're coming from above, you need for amot, so we're not afraid that you'll go over it. Anyway, so that whole thing is to prove, it's a very, it's a very roundabout proof, because the whole thing is to prove, so this is now the Gemara speaking, so that's that you can be close to the bodies, that's because it's a courtyard to Mesayma Mechitzta, that the wall is designated. You see where the wall is to go into the cave, and therefore we trust you to, to, to not go into the problematic space. If it was just a dead body lying out in the open, toughest than it would grab for a moat, you'd have to keep your distance. So it's a very roundabout proof. Like, okay, you know, it's not at all clear that this is better because it's got a wall, who knows? Maybe it's worse because they're in the courtyard. Even if it is better because it has a wall, it doesn't tell you exactly what the halacha would be if there wasn't a wall. Nevertheless, the Gemara is saying that that's consistent with this idea that normally you have to keep your distance from a mace um, and uh, this uh, ruling that's up to four amot is considered to extend the tomb of the mace as a way of having people keep their distance. I'm gonna, it's late, so we're going to move on. Okay, that was all a digression of statements of Rabbi Yitzchak, of uh, Rabbi Yitzchak in the name of Rabbi Yochan, in the name of Rabbi Yitzchak. Now let's get back to the Mishroch Melchama. Who is the man that betrothed the woman? So the same way we did this for the house and the vineyard, that we expanded the, uh, the types of actions that are being addressed, not only planting, not only building, so not, in, not only vineyards, not only houses. So here, too, we're expanding both the, if you would, the objects, sorry to say that, whatever, the woman being referred to, and the type of connection. Whether the woman is a virgin, it's a first marriage, she's a widow or divorcee, a second marriage, or whether it's not even an act of Aresin, his connection to her just because his brother died, and she's a Shemert Yabam. And even if he's not the only person in the picture, five brothers and one died in the war, they all go back. People pointed out that some armies do that, so that, uh, you know, you don't have two deaths in the family, but here it's not because of that. It's only that they all go back if the brother wit left behind a widow with no children. So any one of the brothers might be the Yabam, and even though it's only going to be one of them, since it, since it could be any one of them, they all go back. Okay, lo lakach velo lakacha. It says, asher erasi shavelo likacha took her. So the same way the word for her or his, like, you know, velo chanacho, velo Chilolo, uh, excluded like a case of like Gzelo or Isser. Here too, it's excluding a scenario of Isser. Prat la almana l'kain gadol grusha b'chalutso l'kain hediot manzes in the sin Yisrael bat Yisrael l'mamzol in the sin. Any type of a marriage that is forbidden, even if it would be binding, like a kohen in a grusha or kain gadol and an almana, or a case of mamzer, all of those are forbidden. And therefore, that's not a basis for returning from the war. So the Mar says, like it said before about the Gzelo case, Lema the The fact that you need to exclude this case of Isser sounds like it's not like Rabbi Yosei Glili. To hear Rabbi Yosei Glili, Rabbi Yosei Glili is going to say in the next Mishnah, that as long as you have a sin, you go back. So you wouldn't need a special puzzle here because you have the sin. And before when the word that was Gzela, it said you could have done Tshuva for, this, for the Gzela and paid for it. So you no longer are being sort of like, you know, carrying the burden of the sin. But you can't say that here because the guy is still betrothed to this woman. If he had done Tshuva and he 
he tried to rectify it, he would have divorced her. So he still has a Veyrus Shebiado. So it seems like this, the fact that you need to exclude this shows not like Rabbi Yosei Aglili. So the Gemara says, Kida Rabba, like Rabba, Dama Rabba, Olam Eino Chayvat That note, that even after, that he has not yet done an Avera. Although it says, like, by the case of right or you know um, or uh, what did it say uh, you know what right so it speaks about Kicha which sounds like Kiddushin nevertheless although these Isurei Tehuna speak about Kiddushin Rabbi says you only transgress after sex so he hasn't yet done an Avera now he's laying the groundwork for an Avera and it's a little ironic because it says I share a Rashi and he actually would go through to the next stage and do the Nisuin which would be the you know act of sex he actually would do the Avera but right now he hasn't technically transgressed anything so that's why you need a separate pasuk to exclude it because Rabbah says you only transgress after actually the sex um, and Raji says that's even more obvious in the case of Mamzer because the Mamzer says Lo yavo mamzer bikal Hashem. it doesn't even say the word Kicha which is the word of Kiddushin so there clearly it would need the act of sex not just the act of Vienna Ashley it's quite a fascinating question right? because of all of the Arayot the Yisra Karet it's all about sex it's not about Kiddushin Kiddushin isn't even binding Okay, so whether, you know, it's a case of, of HSH or Nida or whatever, or, 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 or incest, whatever it is, it's all about Bia. It's all about sex. Here, the Psukim emphasize, right, Lo Yikach, to not marry. So that's why you need it, particularly by the Shrei Kahuna. So that's why you need the Rava to say it's only when that's actually followed with actual sex. It's actually interesting because a Machlokas Rishonim in the reverse case. Uh, let's say a Kohen lives with a Grusha and they never have Kiddushin. Okay, so they have sex and they never in the context of Kiddushin. It's according to the Rambam, they're not over because it was not a lo yikach. It requires, technically, they're not over. Right. I mean, <laughs> yes. Right. So it actually requires Kiddushin and Bia for the Rambam. And that's, the halal, doesn't she? Yes. 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 That would be. Yes. Okay. Anyway. So, Mishum. Um, okay. So, it says, lo so only if it's after sex could that lead to changing her status or the child's status before sex it would not so only sex is part of what defines the Isser okay. and therefore even though he's laying the groundwork here for sin he has yet to do a sin so it would not be yet a then they go back I mean, meaning the, now, the five brothers that go they yeah, come home one yeah. does whatever the, the four out of the picture oh back you're back to the brothers presumably right after 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 Ibn has been done the other brothers will go back right but we're still talking about the exclusion of Grusha um, you know of, 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 an, of a Kiddushay Isser that that even though the person has not done yet the Avera um, he would still not um, so it's not Avera Shabiyado and he wouldn't go back though based on this Pasuk okay. that's why Khan is going to war right um, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Similar to Michael's question before. I mean, this is probably, you're right. I wasn't even stopping to think about that. I mean, we're just sort of doing the laundry list about the things that are the the uh, you know the the marriages which are usher but only a love um, because the, you know that's the interesting cases because there's still a kiddushin even though it's prohibited. But you're right. Like, why are we assuming the coin is going to war? Yeah, that's similar to Michael's question before. I still have to look into that. Okay, that's a very good question. It's coming up here again. All right. Um, Okay. Tanura Banana, Rabbi's taught. Asher Bana, Asher Nata, Asher Eras. 
So now we're just doing a little drush. So now that we've done the halachas of all these three, we're talking about the sequence that the Gemara, the Torah puts it in. So to speak, who built a house, who planted a vineyard, who betrothed a woman. Leave the Torah derech eretz. The Torah is teaching you the proper sort of way of the world, a proper a proper form ways of action. So you know them by it. First, build your house. V'yitakem, plant your vineyard. and then get married. So first, first be able to support yourself, have a place to live, then go ahead and start a family. The and Shlomo said in his wisdom, prepare your 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 labor out um, in the uh, you know outside um, and prepare it in the field for yourself, like atid in the future. Prepare your future out in the field. Then build your house. So that actually sounds not exactly the same. It sounds like first you know have a good job and get an income and then buy your house. Because it depends on what the housing market is like. Okay, so. Um, Prepare your labor out in the field or outside. Then buy it. That means first build it, buy a house. Prepare it out in the field for you. That's your vineyard. That's your, your job and your income. And then build your house. That means to get married. Like buy it and isha is a way of an sort of equation the Gemara has there. Dever Acher, Achem Bechutz Malach Tcha, Zem Mikra. So we're learning, learning Mikra. The Asitzab Sadel Lucha, Zem Mishnah. And then you learn Mishnah. Acha, then, Ubenita Beit Chazeg Mara. Okay, so which obviously the point here, which the Marsham makes explicit, but it's pretty, pretty explicit. And the Gemara is, is that like learning, like learning Tanakh and learning Mishnayot is all just the necessary pre- preparation for what it really means to build a house. You know, you want, like, you want to say, Bona Bais Nehman Bishel, the same way, you know, the job and the house or whatever is a way that you start your family life and all of that is like the necessary groundwork for that but the goal is what comes at the end so here too the purpose of learning you know Mikra and Mishnah is all to do the real learning which is the learning of Gemara did I just do that? Um, yes. Now we're going to reframe it. So for people that, you know, uh, that Mikra and Mishnah are both stage one. Get, you know, yeah, prepare your future out of the field. That's Gemara. That's stage two. So what's the goal? What's stage three? Ah, so ultimately, this is a very the classic debate, right? Is ultimately learning all about bringing about action? You know, what is oh, the ultimate goal? Is the ultimate goal learning, or is the ultimate goal, tra- you know, the action that it brings about? Um, um, okay, uh, where were we? Zema Asim Tovin. It's actually interesting. The three things that we're mentioning here: getting married, learning, and Masim Tovin. Right, is what you say, like at the Brit, right? So there you go. Okay. Um, now, Rabbi the learning is just stage one. That's stage two. So what's stage three? Build your house. Explicate and receive rewards. So what does that mean? Like normally you hear drosh kabbalschar by something like like you know that the uh, the only reason Torah gave Ben Torah Mora was drosh kabbalschar. Like it's just theoretical analysis. So what is that about? 
So, you know, the Marsha says this is about like Chachmat Iyunit and not Chachmat HaGemara, which means what exactly? So Rambam would have an obvious answer. Rambam says that the whole purpose of that the Torah gave uh, mitzvahs, so if you read the Rambam's Mornavuchim, the whole purpose of all of the mitzvot in the Torah and the learning and all, all, is, to, is in order to uh, shape your, your midot ma'asiyot, shape your like practical, like make a, st- a stable society, develop your character, develop your midot, develop your your intellect and the reason for all of that is so you can devote your life to what's truly important what's truly important what not learning Torah so yeah like, like you know it's like engaging in philosophy and theology and reflecting on the truth of God so <laughs> so first you learn then you do your Martin Tovin you got a good house a good world whatever get a, and then you're able to devote your life to pure theoretical knowledge okay so that's uh, that's I don't know how else to read this anyway that's more or less what the Marsha says if you want to look anyway moving on the if you want to hear here's the phrase of the Marsha is I mean I don't know if he's uh, he doesn't quote the Rambam but his phrase is he says uh so first you have Talmud, then you have Masa, and then you have Chachma Iyunit. Okay. Anyway, the Elohim Chosrim, the following people don't stay, go to the front lines, don't come back. If it's only a gatehouse, it's not a place for living. Or if you knock down your house and you just rebuilt it on its original plans. So it says, if you add just one row of bricks, you do go back. It's slightly different from the original plans. Even if it was a brick house in the Sharon, because it would not be stable, it would not be a serious permanent enough. Because twice every seven years, you would have to rebuild it. Or to, I don't know. Uh, no, I think it has to be a whole house. The following people would not even go go to be to provide support services you did establish it you did you did uh, you know uh, 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 reach the fourth year with the vineyard um, and did marry the wife so it's all because of the psukim later about a man who actually marries a wife where it says and then we expand the idea of the marrying of the wife to the reaching of the culmination of these other things as well the house and the vineyard so you actually get full exemption for a year it says, It says, What is it? What is it? What is it? What so Isha Chadasha Amy Ali Isha Chadasha I only know a new wife Amara Grushaminayim let's say she had been married before not to him but married before Tamadomar Isha Nikomakom Imkein Ma Tamadomar Isha Chadasha so what's the point of new Misha Chadasha Lo new to him Yotamachzir Krishato Shein Chadasha Lo as opposed to remarrying his divorced wife a wife that he had divorced that he would then that would not be an exemption Tanur Abanan Lo Yetzei Batzava Yocho Batzava Hudulo Yetzei Avo Yastik Maimu Mazon Maybe he doesn't go out to the front lines, but he provides support services with the food and the and the ways. Um, do not, uh, you know, do not go uh, do, do anything to uh, 
to, towards uh, support, you know, in terms of army service. Maybe this full, complete exemption of not doing any support services extends even to the people who had not yet culminated, the man who betrothed a woman but did not marry her or planted a vineyard, right? Maybe I should say that they too get a complete exemption. When it actually got to this point of culmination, then you don't have having to go out even for any support services. That other parsha with the uh, about the people that you know uh, with the vineyard and the house or whatever, there they don't go to the front line, but they do provide support services. So once it says don't even do anything to support, why does it have to say don't go out to the front line? That should be obvious. Once you're not doing any support. To say that there would be two transgressions if he would actually go out to the front line. No, it sounds like, I mean, uh, again, I could look. It sounds like he's not allowed to, right? It's not just he's permitted. I mean, it's a good question about the others, about the people that are told to go back from the front lines. If they choose to waive that exemption. But here there's an actual law. Lo yavor lo Sounds like, it, I mean, that's the question. Is the army over for forcing him to go out? Or is it also that he can't go out? I mean, I'll take a look at how the Rambam frames it. I know. Um, if I renovate my entire apartment, it's not enough to get me to not to go back? What? If I renovate my entire apartment, it's not enough to, like, to be new for me to, get to go back? I replace the kitchen, the bathroom. Right, you know, like the that's apartment. correct. That's, that's but amazing. if I add an addition. But if you add an addition. One row of bricks. Exactly. You know, exactly. But anyway, but let me just take a look at this question. Zayn Malach and Yeralef, how the Rambam brings this down. Um... But yeah, but if you apparently you go, you, you provide support services, you're over on one love, and you go out to the front lines, you're over on two. Um, whoops, I just lost it. Um, he just says, yeah, I mean, it sounds like it sounds like he's the one that's over. Um, oh yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting question. I'm sure the Sefer Minchas Chinuch would talk about these issues about like. Oh yeah, what did he say? Oh, no, I mean, if you have it in your computer, no. it just has the location. Oh, okay, no. Anyway, but I'll try to look it up. Those are interesting questions. We have two real questions we have to answer. One is, can a person at least, not this, which is a lav, but at least the case about the lo chanachau, can he waive the exemption? And also the whole Cohen issue is an interesting question. Okay, let's keep on going. Now the Shotrim continues to speak to people, and now we get to the part about the one who is fearful. Let him go back. This is what they're saying on their own. Rabbi Akiva Omer, like it sounds like it means somebody's afraid cannot stand up into the uh, conflict of the war right? he says means when the, the group of soldiers like you know bond together like in order to create like a human wall or a fight or whatever um, to see a drawn sword the person who is afraid because of his sins which is what we've been quoting so that's why the Torah had the exemptions about the house and the wife and the vineyard so that you could go back with those groups so you wouldn't have to publicize the fact 
that you're in the group of people that are yare mina 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 So you get to sort of just go back with everybody else, and you can so which is interesting. Like there's no problem about misrepresenting why you're going back as long as you have any legitimate reason to go back. But also it's an interesting question about what does it mean lusikach? Like you know, otherwise the Torah would not have given the exemptions about the house. The Torah only gave the exemption of the house to serve as a cover for the person who has to go back because of the veil shabiado. Like it's a funny lusikach that he's sort of saying here. there. I know. Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. Now, Rabbi Yosi Omer, So, exactly what the Gemara said before, which it wanted to know why these cases of forbidden marriages are not Averis Shabiado, Rabbi Yosi is saying these are Averis Shabiado if you have a forbidden marriage and you would go back. So, the question is, okay, but how is that different than Rabbi Yosi Aglili? That's what Rabbi Yosi Aglili said. So, we'll take a look in the Gemara. Okay. After they finish talking, then they appoint officers to stand at the head of the people. So, um, so the Gemara says, not just at the head of the people, but now adding a word to the Pasuk in the back. They put like, you know, uh, you know, strong people or whatever, you know, officers in the front and in the back. Um, and they have in their hands, uh, I think it's like uh, swords of iron. I don't know how they describe swords. Raji says it's like, a, like an arrow or something. Whatever they have. Some type of a staff or a sword of iron. And anybody who is thinking about, about uh, you know, um, uh, retreating um, or uh, what's the word? Um, uh, what's the word when you uh, uh, deserting? Um, so he has the permission to basically, you know, cut the guy off at the knees. Um, so uh, to... to uh, to uh, because the the beginning of I mean it really should say the Gemara is going to switch it says you know the, the first step towards uh, towards falling to succumbing is retreating and running away so you have to I mean that's obviously what you have to do the most obvious you know instinctive reaction is somebody is shooting at you as you turn around and you run in the other direction so you know so that's why armies have very harsh laws was about uh, about um, you know uh, what do you call it about desertion exactly so um, so that's what they would do you'd be you know you have to be more afraid of the consequences of running away than the consequences of going forward the people ran before the Philistines and there was a great uh, smiting on the people they fled before the Philistines and they fell as you know corpses so the beginning of falling is to first retreat. Now, when are all these exemptions true? By a war that is a discretionary war. If it's an obligatory war, a mitzvah war, which is basically the most standard one, is to go on Rashi says, Kibush Yisrael Bimei Yoshua. Okay, the standard categories of Nuchemes of, Mitzvah is the conquering of the land, Nuchemes Amalek, and also, Ramam says, you know, being lohiat Yisrael miyad tsar, defense of wars to protect them from, from obviously from um, invading armies or troops. So in those types of cases, 
Everybody goes. Even the bride, even the groom and the bride um, will go out from under their wedding canopy. When is it true that you have these exemptions by a mitzvah war? But by an obligatory war. So we'll see what the difference is. Are they saying the same thing except they give different names to it and labels to it? Possibly. We'll see in the Gemara. Let's take a look at the Gemara. What did Reb Yossi add to Reb Yossi Aglili? Reb Yossi just said, oh, if you're married to, in one of these forbidden marriages, that's Averis Shebiyado when you go back. So Reb Yossi Aglili already said Averis Shebiyado. A rabbinic Avera. Because Reb Yossi Aglili said, any Avera Shebiyado. And Reb Yossi, and uh, Reb Yossi gave specific examples of biblical prohibitions. So the Gemara wants to understand that for Reb Yossi Aglili, who didn't give those specific examples, he would include even rabbinic violations. So who's going to be left to fight the war? I don't know. Tanana of the Hadithanya, who does it go that which we taught in the Gemara Menachah? Can you go back for rabbinic violations? What well, can I tell you? No, but it doesn't matter. It's Mitzyare. So tell her, you know, as long as you're saying even including a rabbinic one, but that's in the Torah. So it's I understand. Yeah, I understand. It's a little funny, but I think the point still is that if, you know, I mean, it does raise the interesting question. If somebody's over on a Drabanan, does that change their, you know, status vis-a-vis, how do you conceptualize the whole issue of a Veyu Drabanan? But at the end here also, it's, uh, it's anchored in his Mithyarei, so, you know, I'm not sure we have to overly emphasize the metaphysical reality of what a Veyu Drabanan are, as long as it creates a reality of Mithyarei. Anyway, Kamar al-Zahadetanya that even if somebody speaks between the Tfil and Shalyad and the Tfil and Shalrosh it's funny to have the word Tfilin in the singular we call it Tfilin Shalyad we don't call it Tfilah Shalyad Tfilah makes you think about a prayer but that's what it's referring to even if somebody speaks between the Tfil and Shalyad and the Tfil and Shalrosh that's an Avera and you would have to actually go back from the war for just that type of a sin so that's Rabbi Yossi Aglili that's Rabbi Yossi Aglili who says even rabbinic um, sins now Rashi says it means if you spoke, if you look at Rashi, he says, Sach min tzila al-tzila, bein hanachas tzilin shayad v'tzilin shalrosh, sach averi biyado, im lo chazar ubeirach. Okay, so Rashi says that the problem isn't just that you spoke, but if you speak, then you have to make another bracha. That leads to the whole questions about how many brachas do you make on the shalrosh? Do you make one bracha on the shalrosh, two brachas on the shalrosh? Is it that the bracha on the shalyad of laniach tzilin also goes on the shalrosh? And if you, and, but that's only if you don't interrupt. If you do interrupt, then you have to make the laniach tzilin on the shalyad as well, on the shalrosh as well. So you'd have to make another bracha. But Rashi makes it seem that whatever the issue is, the issue is in terms of how it would require another bracha as opposed to sort of saying that even bracha's issues aside there's an idea of unifying that as like a single mitzvah so even without the bracha idea you don't want to create an interruption you know between the two of them um, so that's an interesting discussion when we get to Menachok which I guess we'll get to in like what five years or something <laughs> okay anyway but, uh, okay now the man says like this who taught what the rabbis taught if somebody heard the sound of the trumpets and he trembled or the clanging of the shields and trembled or the clashing of the swords um, and then it causes him to lose control of his bowel, well not bowels, whatever and he starts urinating, bladder, thank you he would have to be who's that going like? maybe it's Rebbe because it's interesting we, I have assumed that Rebbe was saying not only being afraid 
afraid of the battle, but even just being afraid of the Averot. But the Gemara wants to know, let's say somebody isn't afraid of Averot Shabiyado. They're just afraid of actually being at war. <laughs> Maybe that's only Rebbe Akiva. Maybe Rebbe says we, we would say, you don't go back because you're not afraid of Averot. You're only afraid of the actual battle. So the Gemara says, no. So, ha, I feel Rebbe Yosef Glili Mode. No, Rebbe Yosef Glili would agree to that degree of fear. Because the end of the book is he should not cause his uh, brethren's hearts to melt. He should, his fear should not infect other people. So it's not really clear. So does, does, you know, is there still a debate between Rebbe Akiva and Rebbe Yosef Glili about somebody who's like a little bit afraid? It sounds a little like the Gemara is saying is like, oh, that degree of fear, even Rebbe Yosef Glili would say you have to go back because then you're going to infect other people. Let's say you're fearful but it's not to that degree. Would Rebbe Akiva say you do go back and Rebbe Yosef Glili not? Not clear. You know, in general, I always assumed that Rabbi Yosef Lili was saying not only normal fear, even Averot Shabiyado. But the Gemara makes it sound like maybe there's even some debate about the case about the guy who just has normal fear, that Rabbi Akiva is more ready to let him get off than Rabbi Yosef Lili. Okay, so now the Gemara continues. They finish speaking to the people. So, because they say, you know, they put these people to basically cut off the deserters at the needs. Needs. It shouldn't say that the beginning of the, the, you know, the, the, the beginning of running away is succumbing. It should have said, The beginning of, of, of losing, of falling, is running away. Me It should have said, So it's fine. That's what it says. That's what it means. Fine. Reverse the order. Okay. Now this is about Rishos. So here it contrasts Rishos to Mitzvah, whereas uh, Rebbe, who was it? Uh, Rebbe Yehuda said, no, the contrast is mitzvah to chovah. So are they saying the same thing, just using different phrases? What's really going on here? So the Gemara says, I'm Rabbi Yochanan, said Rabbi Yochanan, Rishus to Rabbanan Zui Mitzvah to Rabbi Yehuda. It sounds like it's just different terms. The Rishus of the rabbis, what they call Rishus is what Rabbi Yehuda calls a mitzvah. Um, uh, mitzvah to Rabbanan, what the rabbis call a mitzvah, is Zui Chovah to Rabbi Yehuda, is what Rabbi Yehuda calls a chovah. So is there any debate? So the Gemara now spells out where there would be an implication of this. Amar Rava, Muchemes Yoshua Lichvosh, Dimea Kol Chovah. The obligation of Yeshua, the, the mitzvah of Yeshua to conquer the land, everybody would call that. The idea of chova suggests a higher level of weight than a mitzvah. Everyone would put that in the highest category and call that a chova. I mean, as Rashi points out, the Tanakhama doesn't have a higher category. He just has rishos and mitzvah. But nobody would debate the weight of that. That would clearly be like, you know, chova or mitzvah, whatever your designation is. Um, when, the, when David and maybe his uh, descendants for wars for expansion purposes. Everybody would put that in the lowest category, in the Rishos. The interesting issue is the is a middle case. Now this is not the case I mentioned before that the Rambam mentions about fighting a defensive war when they're being attacked. This actually is a preemptive war. Fighting against the non-Jews that they should not come and attack. But they're gathering troops and strength and you're striking a preemptive war. How do you categorize a preemptive war? So the Rebbe Yehuda um, would call that a mitzvah, and the Rabbanan would call that a rishos. Now, bottom line is, both would agree in terms of the halacha, right? You, you understand, right? Rebbe Yehuda says, "I need more space on this point." Anyway, right? So basically, you have the Tanakama and and uh, and Rebbe Yehuda, right? Wait, is this the right way to do this? Hold on. 
I'm, now I'm confusing myself. Anyway, you have the idea of. Speaking of the other way, you hold on. Anyway, so one minute. Okay, fine. You have Rishus, Mitzvah, Chova, right? So, basically, I don't know, okay, I'm totally confusing myself. Anyway, basically, Tanakama says that the two levels are Rishus and Mitzvah. Rabbi Yehuda says the two levels are Mitzvah and Chova. Now, they both agree, I forget the board, the board's just <laughs> confusing me. Normally, it comes naturally, how to diagram it. Okay, but anyway, but they both agree that the lower level is the people that are exempt, you know, from Banabai Chadash has all the exemptions. Okay, the Tanakama calls the lower level Rishus, and Rabbi Yehuda calls the lower level mitzvah. Okay? So, yeah, okay, that's the good way to demonstrate that. Okay. So the Tanakama goes like this. Yeah, here's the way he demonstrates it. Okay, the Tanakama goes mitzvah reshut and Rabbi Yehuda calls it chova and mitzvah. Okay, but they're really both referring to the same thing. Right? Whether you call it reshut or mitzvah, these are the people that are exempt. Okay, the Erasi Shah, etc. Okay, da da da. Right, Mitzvah Chova is Hakol Yotzim. Okay? So everybody sort of agrees, whether you call it Rashus or Mitzvah, the low level everybody is exempt, the higher, people are exempt, the higher level Hakol Yotzim. And everybody agrees that in the top category goes Milchemet Yehoshua. And in the bottom category, right, Rishus and Mitzvah, right, everybody would agree that that would be Harvacha, a war of expansion. So what's the debate? So what, how does any of this relate when it's a preemptive war? If it's a preemptive war, Mar Karile Rishus, Umar Karile Mitzvah. So if it's preemptive, it's also in this category, they're just giving it, they're just giving it different names. So they would both agree that it would get the exemptions. So if they both agree they get the exemptions and it's in this bottom category, what difference does it mean if you call it Rishus or Mitzvah? The only difference is not if you get the exemptions. The only difference is if you're calling it a Mitzvah, then it has another halacha. If you're saying you're doing a Mitzvah by doing this war, so Nafkamina, La'osek Mitzvah, Shepatah Mina Mitzvah, that if you're involved in things relating to the war, you don't have to, I don't know, put on talis or tefillin or do other mitzvot or take a lulav, okay? So in terms of the issue of, right, everybody agrees that if it's just a war of expansion, you know, the king tells you to do it, you're going to do it. Like, you have, just because you have to do something because it's a, you know, it, it doesn't mean you get to call it a mitzvah. So everybody agrees that that is called a rishos. Okay, a war of expansion. Right? And everybody agrees, and so obviously it has the exemptions. And everybody agrees that a war of Yoshua is called, could be called a chova is the highest level. And obviously everybody is Yotze. It's this middle example, a case about preemptive, where on the one hand, whether you call it a Rishus or a Mitzvah, it does have the ex- exemptions. Right? That's clear, because uh, it is not the highest level. It's preemptive. It does have the exemptions. The debate is, are you going to call a war like this a Mitzvah for another halacha, for an idea of Osek the Mitzvah, Pachamina Mitzvah. Okay? But bottom line, people don't debate which wars get the exemptions. The only war that gets the, the, all the, the only war that let me put this way that doesn't get the exemption is the most obligated war, like Mohammed Yehoshua, the other things that classically are put in this category that don't get the exemptions are Amalek or Hoshea Yisrael Miyad Sar. Okay? Those are the cases 
that whatever you call it, call it chava, call it mitzvah, everybody agrees that those things do not get the exemptions. Okay, everything else gets the exemptions, but the question is, even if you're getting the exemptions, are there some things like preemptive wars that are called mitzvah that has other sort of other halachic or religious implications, like osik mitzvah, patshamina mitzvah. Okay, um, let's just at least start the, um, we just have one minute, but let's at least just read the Mishnah for the next parak. Okay, now we switch from the Kohen to the case of the Egla Rufa. So Egla Rufa, the Lashon Kodesh. You would say the Egla Rufa, you would do the whole recitation, there's a dead body, you don't know who the murderer is, you go out, you break the neck of this calf, you do this whole recitation that the Zakanim do, the Deinu Shafchu et Adam Hazah, our hands didn't spill this blood. So that recitation is in Hebrew. Now what that has to do with saying it in Hebrew, the Gemara is going to say it doesn't. But that just says, okay, it's in Hebrew, we'll get that from a different Pasuk. Now let's talk about Egla Rufa. So we're going to look at these psukim now and discuss the mitzvah of Egla Rufa. You would have three members of the high court of, of, of Yerushalayim, the central court. Zikenecha, it doesn't just mean the Ziknei Ha'ir, the people who are of the city nearby, but the Zikenim of the entire people, of the entire n- nation. So it is three representatives from the Basin HaGadosh Yerushalayim. Reb Yudomer Chamisha, five representatives. Zinemar, Zikenecha Shnayim, Veshoftecha Shnayim. Okay, Zikenecha, Veshoftecha, each one is in the plural that gets you four. So ain't basing shakul, and to represent a based in, you have to have an odd number. Because to represent a based in, there has to be a sense of a deciding vote, even though they're not voting on anything. But just to even symbolically represent a based in, you need an odd number. So masiv and odechad, and that gets you five. Now, nimsa tamun begal, let's say the, the corpse was found buried under a pile of stones. Otalui bi'ilan, or he was uh, hanging from a tree. Otsafa p'neamayim, or floating on the water. Lohayu you would not do the Egla Rufa ritual for technical reasons. Shenemar, because it doesn't fit the exact description in the Pasuk. Ba'adama, fallen on the ground. So presumably that means like exposed, visible on the ground. Lotamun Begal, not buried under a pile. No fell, fallen, below talui bilan, not suspended off the ground in a tree. Basada in the field, below tzafo means on the ground, not floating on water. Nimsa samuch sapar, if it was found near the ba- a border city, olir sheruba ovdei kachavim, or near a city that is mostly non-Jews, olir sheinba beitin, or city that did not have a based in, lo hayu arfin, they would not do it. So we'll see why in the Gemara. A lot of, some of those might more be more substantive, some sound more technical. And when you measure to the nearby city, this sounds similar to the previous point, you only measure to the nearby cities, right? You want to see which is the closest city, you only measure to cities that have in it a Beitin. So it's not only is it members of the Beitin Hagadol, there's a significance here about a Beitin of the city itself. as well. So we will see about all of this. So we'll continue now with this last parak, and Eglarufa will pick up tomorrow.